Beyond Lumina, Episode 7, Sanctuary. The time for all things to be restored draws near. The Chosen One approaches. Now fulfill your duties. How am I to find the Chosen One? And how can we be restored at a time like this? Trust. Upon boarding, Azik and what had become his temporary crew of Vala, along with Zario and the others, examined their savior's ship. Are you sure these guys aren't from an independent world? Villainy asked. This thing is worse than the one from Ob. The ship looked to be more like multiple ships stitched together, as though it had all been salvaged and made into one new vessel. It's better at the moment, Azik replied, since it's actually running. He turned to the man who seemed to be the ship's commander. We're grateful for your help. Uh, fodder, was it? My name is Azik Zen. And he went on to introduce the rest of the group. They had been brought to a small room, but it was probably the only common area on the ship, just large enough to hold Azik, his crew, and the old hooded man. The rest of the small crew had gone back to the bridge. Good to meet you all. And Potter is more of a title. Glaus is my name, but you can call me what you'd like, the man said jovially. And we are happy to help, though I'm sure someone else would have come around before too long to help you out. You're near an active alliance world, after all. That's why we came out here to salvage. There is a lot of traffic around Sotama, and not all of the pilots leaving in space are suitable to fly when they do. He was, of course, referring to the overindulgent lives of Sotama citizens. That is what we thought you were at first on that ship. We were surprised to find you were part of the Alliance military. I'm not so sure, Azik replied. And I don't know if we would have had rescuers as well-meaning as yourselves. Like I said, it's a long story, but the Alliance is the one that wrecked our ship. We could use some sanctuary for the time being. But as an Alliance officer, I don't want to be noticed among your people and bring you trouble. You shouldn't have to worry about that, Fodderglass answered. We are and have been a part of the Ascendancy for a very long time, but they have very little real presence in Kastia. They leave us to our own business. Azik had to admit to himself he knew next to nothing about Kastia, other than its alignment. Well, in that case, if you'd have us, we would be even more in your debt if we could rest on Kostya for a little while. Of course, Glaus said. Like I mentioned, we don't have much, but what we do have is yours while you're with us. It won't be too long before we're back on Kostya, and we should be able to get your ship repaired for you rather quickly. We have many fine mechanics. The only other thing Azik knew about the planet was its physical makeup and location in Lumina's system. It was, in fact, one of the planets closest to Lumina, and was, relative to most of the other planets, a small, extremely hot, uninhabitable rock. Evidently, at some point it had become inhabited, and its people lived within Kostya's surface, where they were able to more easily regulate a synthetic and livable atmosphere. Zario and his crew were not too interested in talking to Fodderglass and the rest just yet, and Vala was still coming out of shock. 
Eventually, Azik's desire for gathering information won out, and he asked Glaus, So why exactly does the Ascendancy not have much of a presence on Kostya? Well, as I said, Father Glaus started, We have been a part of the Ascendancy for a very long time, perhaps since near its inception ages ago. According to our history, our people used to be much more prominent in the Ascendancy. We were known as the People of the Voice, a religious sect you might say. Whether from our people's influence or something else, the Ascendancy began to find fault with us, and we were persecuted for a time, until eventually one of our leaders finally vowed that we would keep silent and keep our influence within our own world, or else bring the wrath of the Ascendancy upon us once more. Barterglass sighed deeply, then continued. The things we hold to be true are quite different from what is now held throughout the system. The Ascendancy would quickly discover if we began to spread our message again, and they would destroy us. So they have no need to fear, because they know we will comply. We are also a sore spot now for the Ascendancy, and get little to no aid, which we greatly need, leading to many of our people becoming salvagers to stay alive. But there is really no escape from the Ascendancy for us, as we are located in such a position that there is always a prominent Ascendancy planet not far away. We are essentially trapped, and so for this reason too, they have no need to closely monitor us. I'm sorry to hear all of that. I can't imagine what it would be like living under the role of the Ascendancy, Azik said. Although this may be extremely lucky for us, no Ascendancy or Alliance, or Federation for that matter, he thought. We might actually be safe for a moment. He wasn't so sure about these people, though, and continued pondering what Fodderglass had said as they neared Kostya. It sounds like some kind of cult planet, Azik thought. I hope we aren't getting mixed up in anything too dangerous or strange. Azik had heard stories of the time before the Space Age on Ravina, when people used to believe in some rather astounding things. Large people in the sky or beings that knew your every thought or somehow controlled your life. That had all been proven false once their people began discovering more about the universe and especially after they met other life and joined the New World Alliance, who also had no conception of such things. It's all pre-civilized nonsense, he thought again. But maybe what this man meant is that they just live by some certain ethical code. Perhaps there aren't any of those crazy beliefs attached. They're out here traversing Lumina, after all. There's no way they could believe in some kind of big people in the sky. Otterglass left the crew to themselves after a while once they were settled in and Hazek and Bala had changes of clothes. Before leaving, he asked if anyone needed to use the transmitter to contact anyone, but no one took him up on the offer. Hazek was still watching Bala carefully. Like I said, Bala started after Klaus was gone. I really don't know about this guy. We should leave as soon as we can. You're worried about a few weirdos in robes? Zario laughed. I doubt they can be that dangerous, although the place certainly doesn't sound like any kind of attraction. Azik realized he was now probably stuck with this bunch, at least for the foreseeable future. Maybe they'll actually be able to help, he thought. Now finally having a moment to relax, he thought about the strange Ravinian code that the Ascendancy had on their ship, a code that wasn't strange to him. It's a muster code. Could it be a trap? Is that the reason all the Ravinian soldiers are gone? It was hard to ponder for long about one particular thing when there were so many questions needing to be answered, on top of which he still had short, crippling headaches. 
we want to clear your name, Vala added, I would agree. I don't think we will be able to accomplish much on Kastia, no matter how safe it is for us. Somehow you'll have to get support from one of the major powers in order to access the resources you need. She was right, of course. There was no way any independent world, or one near it like Kastia, would have any of the tools Azik would need to start figuring out what was going on. But he couldn't figure out where to start anyway. It seemed like a monumental task just to piece together all the things currently happening. Really, all I have to go on right now is this signal, he thought. There certainly has to be something there. The question is whether it's friendly or not. But I don't think I have a choice. I need to find out. So he decided that once the ship was repaired, that's where he would go. Like I said before, Isaac said to the others, I'm grateful for your help back on Sotama. We wouldn't have made it out alive outside of Alliance custody. But I need to go to the source of the signal we found on the Ascendancy ship. It's my best bet at finding something out at this point. I have no idea what I will find there. It could be a trap. So I don't expect any of you to come with me. In fact, this is where we should probably part ways. For your own good. Paula didn't hesitate to answer. I'm still coming with you. You can't do this all on your own. You will at the very least need some help getting there. And I think Philony has grown pretty attached to that hunk of junk being towed behind us, Zario added. Philony shot him an irritated glance. Besides, it's pretty clear now you're in the middle of something big, and I doubt the powers that be won't let us walk away from this, not after being a part of it. Otterglass's voice came over the intercom. My friends, we will be docking on Kostia shortly. Don't mind the turbulence as we near Lumna. The sky was filled all rotation with transport ships arriving both on Tan and Sor, sitting between the two worlds, waiting for their turn to land. The population of Metezkar was all but annihilated, but it was a very large planet, and Tan and Sor were not quite so large, so that the amount of refugees to the two worlds ended up being notable. The private watched the familiar space shared between the two planets from his post, a view that never changed, as Tan and Sor were tidally locked to each other, so that the same sides of both worlds always faced one another. He had been busy scanning and keeping tabs of the incoming ships and their passengers. From his guard post, he didn't interact with any of the refugees, but he could see even from a distance the shock and terror residing on the faces of nearly every one of the people who onboarded the transports. They probably know as much as we do about what happened and they didn't know anything. They had heard about a similar attack several rotations ago on Ravina, but the destruction there was not nearly as bad as on Metezkar, a world now inhabitable. The best guess of the Tansorian Federation's leaders was that it was targeted due to it being the main planet of food production for the Federation. The economy of the third major power was going to change drastically, and there was even a possibility of shortages something unheard of since the Federation was formed. The Free World Alliance had also been moving a lot of military ships to their border worlds with the Federation, a possible act of aggression, though they continue to claim that it was for defense after the Federation supposedly destroyed one of their warships. The Private thought that was absurd, unless the Alliance had attacked first, and in that case they would still be the aggressors. Private Kvos, what are you doing over there? A voice came from somewhere nearby. Here, sir, the private replied, just thinking, waiting for the next transport. 
Yes, I can see your eyes glazed over from here, his commander derided him. A little less thinking and a little more watching. The next transport's on its way. Yes, sir, the private said. Sorry, sir. First impressions of Costia left a lot to be desired. The ship entered an unseemly hangar with more ships of various shapes and sizes, all patched together from multiple other vessels. And just as on the ship, both men and women in hooded robes worked around the hangar. There were others who wore normal clothing, though they looked rather tattered. The people also looked rather frightened at the sight of Azik and the others. We don't get many visitors, Fodderglass said when he saw the group's concerned glances, especially ones so well armed. We don't want to scare your people, Azik replied. If I can keep my pistol, we will turn over the rest of our weapons while we're here, as long as we can get them back if and when they're needed. I'm sure that would relieve a lot of their worry, and build some trust between you, Glaus said. We are quite resilient, but there is much fear among our people, and always has been since the Ascendancy nearly destroyed us all. My people recently suffered a similar fate at their hands, Isaac mentioned, so I kind of know how they're feeling, and I don't blame them. We would be happy to do what we can to make our stay easier on them, and we won't be here long. While most were reluctant to hand over their weapons, Balanth objected the most. I'll wait on the ship, he finally said, and walked back. I will too, Mecca said and followed him. She was still not happy with Zario and she didn't like Azik very much, or Vala. Argyle, of course, went with her. Sorry about them, Azik apologized to Glaus after they continued on. It's been a long journey. It's quite alright, Father Glaus replied. I don't expect you to abide by every single custom we hold while you're here. Lumina is a big system after all. As long as you respect my people, you're welcome here and I don't see that being a problem. Come this way, I will take you to our capital, Omnis, named after the great architect of our world. Oh no, Hazik thought. They do believe in some big person in the sky. Glaus took Azik, Vala, Zario, Philony, and Usion to a nearby grav car, and took off down the wide tunnel. Due to our proximity to Lumina, our entire world is underground and sustained by a synthetic atmosphere. Potterglass lectured as they drove to the capital. It's all tunnels. Some of them are natural, but most we made ourselves and connected into a network that spans the globe. You're certainly people of ingenuity, Isaac replied. With this tunnel network and the way you can refurbish ships, where'd you come across such knowledge in a place like this? While we may be its most despised members, Glass said, we are still part of the Ascendancy and have received some of their knowledge thankfully enough to help us survive here without their help. In a short time they reached Omnis, the capital city. The crew was actually taken aback by its beauty. It was simple, but the entire city was hewn from the rocky ground of Castia. It reminded Azik of his home on Ravina. The city was laid out in a very precise way, with a few main tunnels that led out to other places. At one end of the city, what Azik considered some kind of city center, was a massive building ornately carved into the side of the wall. What on Lumina is that? 
Zario murmured in admiration. Probably some religious building, Azik thought. That is our destination, Laos replied. It is the Grand Temple of Omnis, and also my home. You live there? Zario asked in astonishment. Wow, you must rank pretty high around here, eh, old man? Well, not exactly, Laos chuckled. I live there with others like me, as we are the primary stewards of Omnis here on Kostia, really in all Lumina. We are called the people of the voice because those who align their will to the will of the one can hear the voice of Omnis and heed his call. You see, it is due to our belief in Omnis that the Ascendancy banished us and essentially imprisoned us here. If they heard the name Omnis uttered outside of Kostia, they would know we didn't keep to the command, and they would return to wreak havoc. In any case, the temple is where me and others like me, who are devoted to serving Omnis, rest our heads and have the occasional meal. But other than that, it is the holy place of our people, and also the place where I and the other devotees do most of our work. While everyone here believes in Omnis, the devotees are the ones who voluntarily take up this servant position. You can spot us by the hoods and robes. It must get pretty crazy with all those people in there, Usian wondered. Aside from those coming to offer sacrifice, there are only the devotees inside, and we do not have families as we all make a sort of life bond to serve the One himself. The One? Omnis? Sacrifice? Azik was beginning to wonder if it was a good decision to come here. They were heading for the main place of sacrifice, and for all he knew, they were the victims. Sacrifice? Azik asked Father Glaus. Oh, I'm sorry, Glaus replied with a laugh. Nothing like on Redrinian back in the day. Just sacrifices of their time or, even better, a sacrifice of their desires and will to that of the One, who they know desires the best for them. I suppose that's reassuring, Azik thought. They left the grav car and made their way into the temple, which was indescribably large once they got up close to it. The cave containing the capital of Omnis was massive in itself, and the temple rose nearly to the top of it. After a grand rock-hewn entryway, as all things were, there was an enormous room spanning almost as far as the crew could see. In the center was a huge, ornate statue depicting something that the crew couldn't describe. Other statues and beautiful wall-carved pictures circled the outside of the sanctuary. There were people all over the place, some next to statues, some walking through, many lost in thought. Some spotted the newcomers that were clearly not from around there, and were startled like those at the hangar. The people near the entryway quickened their pace to get away from them. I apologize again for them. They're really just not used to outlanders, Glass said quietly. This is the main sanctuary. He made an arcing motion with his arm. It's the primary part of the temple for the public, though there are some smaller sanctuaries around as well. The women of the Order live in the western wing, while we live in the eastern. Come, we will get you something to eat. The group followed Glass to the right and through a doorway leading to a long, rocky hallway, but Vala was still standing in the main sanctuary, staring at the large statue in the center. Vala, what are you doing? Isaac said, which seemed to come out much louder than he intended. Many of the people stared at the group again. I'll... I'll be right there, Vala replied. Just give me a minute. 
She'll be fine here, Glass reassured them. Come along, we won't be far away. They started down the hallway, which was strewn with rooms on both sides. They didn't go too far before turning into one of them. Here's one of our dining areas. Someone will be by in a moment with some fresh meals. That's what I call service, Lucien said, quite famished at this point. One of the many ways we are able to serve one another here, Klaus answered. We all have jobs, be it here at the temple or out somewhere around Kostia. There are other temples around the world for people to have easier access, but all of the devotees call this their permanent home. Father, who are these outlanders? A voice came from outside the dining room. And why have you brought them into the living quarters? Father Blem, Father Glass said with a forced smile. They're just a small group of travelers who had some problems out in deep space, and we happened upon them. I thought I would get them a meal since we've been out there for a while. Yes, Father Blem said, unamused. And I suppose that's why you barely brought anything back again. That fuel is precious, you know, and not to be used to make your ship a taxi, much less to bring people back here. What if Drop would find out? Drop doesn't care what happens around here, Klaus replied. And they won't be here long. They just need their ship repaired. Blem scowled. I am taking this to Abo. Mark my words. Then he left. Just after, a woman entered the room. She too wore a hooded robe, but the hood was down. Oh, hello, she said, surprised by the crew, just as all the other Castians. You brought visitors, Father. Well, here are five dishes for you. Thank you, Sutter. And make that six, please, Klaus said. One is still out in the sanctuary. Of course, here you are. She placed six plates around the table. The food did not look appetizing at all. It was some kind of brown muck. What is this? Zario asked, slopping it around with his utensil. It's called Pash, Glass said. I'm sorry, I know it's not as appetizing as what you're probably used to, but this is one of the few nutritious foods we have here. It's made from certain minerals found deep underground here. It may taste a little odd at first, but I assure you it's quite good for you. The group all reluctantly ate what they were given, and it did indeed have an odd taste. Villainy almost excused himself at one point, but was able to keep his composure. Isaac had more questions for Glaus now that they saw the temple, but he only asked one. So what is that statue in the sanctuary? That, Glaus started, as though he were summoning some grand speech, is the act of creation. It depicts the one and the sending of the architects, and of Omnis's subsequent creation of Lumina. So now there are two big people, Isaac thought, and they apparently made all of Lumina. Soon they finished, and Glaus stood once more. I can show you to some guest quarters, he said, although your other friend will have to stay in the women's wing. I suppose she's still out in the sanctuary. Bala gazed up at the massive statue, a large, ambiguous, and clouded figure sitting above, perhaps guiding a wide, swirling vortex, which itself sat atop many rings with spheres. But it wasn't the enormity or the beauty of the statue that had Vala's attention. In fact, it wasn't the statue at all. As soon as they had entered the sanctuary, 
Bala felt a shock run through her body, and she was terrified. Even more so than when she thought she was going to die aboard the Obian ship, with no idea why. She had intended to continue with the group, but something was telling her she must stay. She had to. Soon after the others left, something seemed to suck all of the sound out of the sanctuary, and it was noiseless. Then Vala heard. She wasn't sure if it was out loud or in her head. Vala It was her native name, 